0: Hello friends, Hector here. Before introducing this episode, I just want to say that I know the world is really crazy right now, especially if you're one of our listeners from the United States. On top of the virus, we've got uh, direct attempts uh, by those in power to sabotage our upcoming election, law enforcement using violence to repress peaceful protesters, media on the right and left uh, outright lying about things that are happening or spinning facts to fit their own agendas, It's rough. Uh, Your mental health is really important. Neither you or us as a collective can put the best foot forward um, if self-care isn't taken when needed. So please try and be cognizant of where you're at and, and those around you and take care of yourself. That's really important. On a level more specific to the show, sadly Lux has departed to work on some of her own projects, which include two other podcasts. However, we're working together to bring you all a very interesting, at least I think it's very interesting and hopefully useful piece of tech in the coming weeks. Uh, This will be released on both of our shows and I think at least part of it um, is exactly what the world needs right now. Um, I also want you all to know that despite uh, Portland facing extreme violence from law enforcement right-wing extremists, perhaps some of you have heard of the live ammunition and pipe bombs that have been lobbed at protesters in recent weeks. Uh, On top of that, the school year starting for me and Luxor's departure from the show. I'm committed to keeping the show moving forward. I'm currently in the process of revising some scripts and research that we drafted together so that it is all in my own voice and outlining the next uh, few episodes of the show. So on September 7th, Uh, I will be releasing the episode on Invoking, which I'm really excited about as I've been working on it since the end of season one, just before Kevin had to leave for uh, health and work-related reasons. Um, But for now, I'm going to give you uh, what was a piece of Patreon-exclusive content, the very first installment of our book club discussion surrounding quantum psychology by Robert Anton Wilson. If you like it and would like to hear more, this series is still ongoing um, as Patreon exclusive content. In fact, uh, another installment was just uploaded to Patreon today. Uh, and I just want to point out that when you donate to Patreon, you are enriching the overall podcast for everyone. Funds are currently going to purchase new research materials as well as better audio equipment. And there's a, a real treat coming in the next few weeks about the same time that Lux and I will be releasing our our shared piece of tech, I'll also be releasing a work-in-progress digital grimoire that I'll be continuously updating. Uh, This will be available to all Patreon subscribers, so consider checking out the Patreon. Uh, The link will be in the description of this episode. And without further ado, I bring you Quantum Psychology, Chapter 1, Sections 1 and 2 hi everyone welcome to the fool's guide to the occult book club
1: that's right just when you thought that the vibe of this podcast couldn't possibly get any nerdier we decided to do this
0: <laughs> yeah and this is our first official episode on uh quantum psychology by robert anton wilson we're starting out with the first two sections of chapter one today
1: mm-hmm. how do we know what we know if we know anything
0: hmm. important question <laughs> um this first section starts out with a parable, or as Wilson titles it, a parable about a parable. And the first page is a optical illusion, um, a picture. And one of the things you're supposed to do is, well, we're what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about our experience of looking at this picture.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's one of these pictures that you can See two different things, and depending on how you look at them, Uh, there's an old woman and a young woman uh, in this optical illusion kind of picture. So, you're asked to kind of try to see it both ways at once. And as I attempted to do this, I'm pretty sure that it was switching back and forth pretty quickly in my mind. Um, But I noticed that I felt myself kind of like slipping into gnosis. So, I thought this was like a really interesting access point to an altered state that I'm probably gonna experiment with a little bit further.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I don't know if I personally could use optical illusions like that, because for me, it takes like a lot of focus mm-hmm. to, to look at them that way. But I can definitely see that being um, an alley for, for some people. The only way I could see this image simultaneously was to uh, sort of use my imagination and animate it. Um, so that the young woman was slowly turning her face to look at me as the old woman was speaking which is kind of unsettling because the old woman's mouth is the young lady's necklace so she was kind of like her neck was ripping open up and down as she turned (laughs) (laughs) metal (laughs) a little freaky but yeah
1: oh that's cool all right so the next the first exercise um at the end of the or the chat i don't know is it chapter or part i'm not sure whatever this this part section
0: one section one of (laughs) chapter one okay cool
1: thank you um our individual interpretation of the parable so this is a parable by kafka that i'm sure you guys will remember from reading the thing all right so the first thing that i thought of when i read the parable was the notion that like one must be willing to be a thief to attain illumination it can't be handed to you or bought with coin as the man in the parable attempted to do so the man should have pushed the guard out of the way or demanded entrance to his own personal door of the law or killed the guard, I guess. But either way, as the man, the man's Roshi demonstrated, it's the door that one has to open for yourself. So the fact that the door was closed forever as the man died illustrates the point that we should not expect to be handed the knowledge that we seek in the afterlife. We must be willing to seek it. <laughs> the answers like while we still have agency on Earth. And also, I sort of thought, you know, the guy slamming the door in the face of his student was like, you fucking open the door like you have to do it. I don't know.
0: So I agree with you and I disagree with you at the same time. I agree that, yes, you need to seek your knowledge on your own and um, like strive for for stuff. But I feel like if you try and force your way into enlightenment, you're sort of violating the first of the eightfold path because you're you're failing to see things as they really are. If the man, say, killed the guard, perhaps he'd run through the door just to find the same guard in front of the same door. Uh, He would be bound like Sisyphus to repeat this behavior for eternity. Or, you know, Groundhog's Day, to use a more modern reference, though that seems a bit dated at this point even. I'd like to revisit this in like a year or so and reread the parable and then listen to my response that we're recording now and see if my feelings have changed. But my interpretation is this the door of the law is personal aspiration, the desire to achieve, which in that sense, I, I think we agree. Kafka's work is, well, frankly, dark as fuck. And I don't know if he had already contracted the tuberculosis that would eventually lead to his death by starvation when he wrote this, but in the story, the the door is slammed shut because the man died, which I, I think we both agree on as well. The point is, if you, or I'm sorry, the point is, I feel that, you can spend your entire life waiting for something to happen, sudden enlightenment, or to meet your fairy tale lover, or to get your dream job, um, or you can just live. Likewise, the story about the Zen Buddhist is the same his master denies him entry to the temple, metaphorically denying him enlightenment. Which, if the student was ready to receive this knowledge, should have led to sudden enlightenment in itself. This is very similar to many Zen stories that I've read in the past. Zen is full of harsh comedy, koans that appear to be paradoxical as well as Beautiful Serenity. I'm really drawn to highly recommend Hardcore Zen by Brad Warner again, for many of the same reasons, though I still don't really agree with his view on psychedelics. I will throw two things out there because I have once again found myself talking about Buddhism, which seems to come up quite a bit. Uh, The first thing is, the fifth path of the Eightfold Path is right conduct, which is supposed to exclude the Buddhist from violent actions, like killing the guard, but I like many other Buddhists centuries over I'm not opposed to self-defense or armed revolution if it were necessary the second is that like uh, many of the Zen koans and this may sound uh, like a non-sequitur um, upon first consideration I suppose but I urge you to think about it for a little bit and that's this if you meet the Buddha on the road to enlightenment kill him
1: yes indeed kill him I think that's an excellent thing to think about a lot, especially if you're going into uh, learning about cultism and stuff. I actually have that quote on my wall because I think it's so good.
0: <laughs> oh, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that, like, I think that the, the parable, just to sort of sum up in maybe more simplistic language, what I said, the, the parable kind of shows that, there are two kinds of people people that wait around all their life for something to just happen to them and then people that just go out and live and eventually the things that they are looking for find them you know
1: yeah no definitely yeah i like your idea about coming back and listening to this in like a year and seeing how perspectives might have shifted so okay i'm curious like do you think that it's forcing your way to enlightenment cuz the door is created just for him so i feel like it's not forcing your way to enlightenment to walk through it, right? Like,
0: but I don't. It's a metaphor. I don't think the door is meant to be literal, but it's, right?
1: Sure, but it's you know, if we hold to the metaphor, it's his own personal door to the law, and there's this petty bureaucrat standing in the way. I mean, what what would what do you think the man should have done?
0: So, here's my how I'm going to interpret this. The petty bureaucrat as you say the guard of the door is just another aspect of himself he's blocking his own path because he's standing there waiting for the guard to get out of the way so that he can go through but in the end it's really himself that's in his own way okay he's wasting his time by standing around there instead of achieving what he could be achieving by living his life.
1: Sure, sure. I I definitely agree with that. I still sort of think he should kill the guard though.
0: <laughs> it depends on what uniform the guard's wearing.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Um
0: If it's the mailman, leave him alone. Right?
1: <laughs> no, I don't know. Um but yeah, how do we know like how do we know unless maybe he should have, you know, Maybe he should have forced his way past the guard. Maybe the guard is there as a test, you know, like maybe he's just there to he's just there as an obstacle. And if you really want it, you have to you have to fight for it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interpretation. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm sure. Why not?
1: I don't know. I definitely see your point of view as well. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, in a way, what you're describing is also the same as what I'm describing, right? Yeah. Um, instead of just waiting around, the the character takes action, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe we're not entirely different in our approach.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, all paths eventually lead to the same place, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, if you keep following them, right? I Sure. I think, yeah. <laughs> cool. So
1: do we think we have a consensus?
0: Uh, I think our consensus is action over inaction. Yes. Okay.
1: I agree. Okay, cool. Shall we go on to section two?
0: Let's do that. All right. What's section two about?
1: The problem of deep reality.
0: Hmm. All right. My understanding of this is something I think I've tried to articulate on the show a few times. Essentially, we as humans um, are limited in our senses and cannot perceive experiences beyond them. We can only describe what I guess I'll refer to as lowercase t or base level reality truths. Capital T truth is beyond our ability to comprehend. Just as it breaks our brain when we think um, or try to imagine, I guess, what that fourth color that birds can see that we can't see, we cannot fully philosophize what deep reality might be. Um, No one can prove or disprove anything about it because we can't perceive the slightest sliver of it to begin with. Even our modern models of physics such as string and M theory have raised more questions than they've answered about the nature of what reality, and I'm doing quotation marks right now, even is. But we have to come back to that, that Morpheus quote that I mentioned in our introduction to this whole thing. As Wilson brings it up in a, a, a very similar idea, uh, we do not perceive reality at all. What we do perceive is our brain's interpretation of various bits of noise thrown at it. If I remember correctly from all of the psychology classes I took during my undergrad, we filter out far more stimuli on a regular basis than we actually interact with. And all of this is done at an unconscious or perhaps more accurately a pre-conscious level. I do like how Wilson puts it at the bottom of page 8 though what our instruments and brains tell us consists of relative realities or cross sections of realities
1: yeah i really like that like i like this idea of like reality tunnels and everything i think it it suits pretty well i definitely agree with your assessment of the term deep reality it's never something that we can know measure or experience you can't know about its qualities whether it exists or not like No, so statements to this effect are meaningless. Uh, When I think about this concept, I think about Newtonian and subatomic physics. So they contradict each other on certain points, but they both work just for different stuff. Uh, We can use Newtonian physics to get a rocket ship into space, but if we want to know about how the fuel is being consumed as the ship launches, we have to look at subatomic physics to figure that out. So scientists that study things on like really large scales, like astronomers and cosmologists also use some of the models from subatomic physics. So it turns out on really big and really small scales, things start to like behave in very similar kind of ways, um, at least in terms of how you can model them. Uh, it reminds me of fractals, you know, these endlessly repeating patterns like across scales. And speaking of fractals, there's this idea presented in Chaos, Making a New Science uh, by James Glick, which is a book I'm probably always talking about. There's this idea about infinite coastline. If you tried to use a yardstick to measure the coastline of an island, you might get a good approximation of its length. But you would miss out on a lot of the length because you wouldn't be measuring, you know, the details of all the little zigzags. Okay, so you could use a ruler that was like an inch long and do the same thing. But if you look closer, you're still missing a ton of length. All those little details and zigzags. Uh, it turns out that because of their fractal nature, the length of a coastline approaches infinity. Um, and this reminds me of how Heisenberg, the Heisenberg uh, uncertainty principle and Einstein's relativity, and they're talking about we can't really know the length of a rod, or you know, we can only know approximations based on the tools that we're measuring with. So I think that that's central to this idea of like, what is deep reality? We don't know, all we know is what we can measure and our measuring instruments, including our own brains are imprecise.
0: Yeah, absolutely, cool. So I, yeah, I think we agree on that pretty much. Brad? Yeah, that's cool. So he goes on to talk about Aristotelian logic versus post-Copenhagenist science, and the, basically the difference is is in the first, in the former, there's just true false Either something is, or it isn't, or it's right, or it's wrong, positive, or it's negative. But in, in the latter, you have true, false, indeterminate, and meaningless, where indeterminate means we just can't test that yet because we don't have the tools for it. And meaningless refers to things that are forever untestable. Mm-hmm. You could also use uh, other terms for for meaningless, like absurdities or um, the term Robert Anton Wilson uses uh, quite a bit, borrowed from, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Korzybski. Cor- I don't know. Anyway, noise. <laughs> and you'll hear us talk about noise a lot. So Wilson goes on to discuss the universe as a process rather than a static thing. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the rest of the the section is about perception is reality, right? It Mm -hmm. starts sort of around page 12, paragraph three, and continues through the remainder of the chapter. And he talks about reality tunnels, like you mentioned already, um, and then sort of how he gets into like cultural operating systems a little bit, although he doesn't use that term specifically. Um, but he talks about the the differences between the, like Western modern, your Europe, Western European uh, perceptions of reality in comparison to uh, sort of like tribal groups of people and and things like that and and how uh, how our perception or understanding of the world, creates that world in a way, I guess.
1: Yeah, sort of. It's kind of this idea of like, okay, sometimes when we look at other cultures, their customs seem pretty strange to us because, right, we're not used to it. But if you actually uh, take an objective look at your own culture, you can see just as much absurdity, right? Uh, it's, yeah. If, 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 if absurdity Definitely. it is that you're, you know, looking for. So.
0: True. Yeah. And that, that brings us to the end of that section, save for the group activity. At the very end.
1: Alright. So I just wanna mention one thing about meaningless and indeterminate because this is sort of a argument that comes up often in my household. I'm of the opinion, and this is just a philosophical <laughs> point, that it's not a super scientific question to ask what happened before the Big Bang. If if you if we ascribe to the Big Bang theory. My spouse, on the other hand, thinks that it's indeterminate. So I I think it's meaningless. They think it's indeterminate. They say, well, that's not a scientific attitude. You should say it's not scientific yet to ask that. So uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking that they might be right, but don't tell
0: them. <laughs> I, I actually uh, I agree with them, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So I came across a very interesting theoretical argument, I guess we'll say, about Uh, multiple universes that particularly relates to black holes and so if i'm sure you but you know if our our viewers have our listeners have a um some kind of base knowledge in astrophysics you know that a black hole sucks in everything near it and condenses it to what we call a singularity Mm -hmm. right At, at the very center of it yeah and from what we know of The Big Bang, what we've theorized about it before our universe existed, it was everything in it condensed down to a singularity. So the theory is that basically what black holes are like the recycling units of the of the I don't know, you want to call it multiverse. And that they suck all this crap down in them, and that singularity eventually explodes into another universe. I
1: always wondered about that. That's so cool. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. I forget who um, I read that theory from, but it, it's a thing that's out Hell there. Hell yeah. It's oh, i to figure
1: that out. I love it. Yeah.
0: All right. So do we want to dig into this thing?
1: Yeah. Let's take a stab.
0: All right. So- Wilson gives us a, a list of things and, and he says this, let the members of the group classify each of the following propositions as meaningless or meaningful, uh, where disagreements arise, attempt to avoid conflict and seek to understand why disagreements are um, must arise in judging some of these propositions. And so we've got a bunch here and we'll just go through and discuss them. Excellent.
1: All right. So the first one is, I hauled the garbage out this morning.
0: Okay. I'm going to go with this could be a meaningful statement.
1: I think so, too. I think this is measurable. You could even go outside and see that the garbage was out there.
0: Um. Right. I was thinking about my specific situation. My neighbor literally across the street from me has a camera on their driveway, and I would bet that it could see across the street and has recorded information of me walking out the front door with a bag of garbage and dropping it in the can
1: yeah and i mean i guess we could get mired into like a semantical argument about what's garbage but i think we can probably agree that overall this is meaningful
0: (laughs) yeah sure all right the second one is god appeared to me this morning Mm,
1: i'm gonna go with meaningless
0: yeah i agree i i'm agreeing on meaningless okay
1: i saw a ufo this morning
0: um i thought about this one a lot and I wanted to say meaningful initially because UFO just means un- unidentified flying object, right? <laughs> so it, the statement saying I looked up in the sky and I saw something. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Could have been anything. But ultimately, I decided it was meaningless because there was no way to verify or measure that.
1: Yeah, I suspected the same thing. I, I had classified this one as meaningless.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, the next one is this tabletop measures two feet by four feet.
1: Again, I'm gonna say meaningful because it's measurable. Although with the caveat as we discussed about measuring things, we are only getting the approximation. But it does it does say measures, so that's what that means. So I'm gonna go with meaningful. Last answer.
0: Exact same final conclusion on that one
1: Excellent. as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right space becomes curved in the vicinity of heavy masses such as stars
0: let's go with i'm gonna say meaningful because i think it's indeterminate i think we we can math that out but we can't measure it maybe yet
1: okay yeah what do you think i think that i'm gonna go i'm gonna say meaningful um and possibly indeterminate, I'm not sure what the state of our technology is in terms of like measuring uh, the way that light bends and all that stuff. Um, not my field, so I'm not super up on all that stuff, but I, th- I would definitely feel like it's meaningful.
0: Right. And the, the second one, the one or the one that follows that is pretty much the same. Space does not become curved at all. Light simply bends in the vicinity of heavy masses such as stars. And I, I think our our uh, interpretation of that is the same as the previous one.
1: Yes. Although I don't agree with what the statement is saying, I do think it's a meaningful statement.
0: Why do you not agree with what the statement oh, is saying? Just
1: because of my
0: –
1: whatever I've learned about physics. Like, I do think that it's space that curves. But I don't know.
0: Okay.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Write us in with your thoughts, guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was reading right before um, – Quarantine happened. I was reading through uh, a brief history of time by uh, Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. and he was talking about this very thing. And I just can't. The book is in my classroom, so I can't reference it to pull out book really <laughs> I, fast. But...
1: I could go get my coffee if you
0: want. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, all right. So the next one is uh, defendants are inno- innocent. Until the jury uh, pronounces them guilty. My interpretation of this is is absolutely meaningless.
1: Hmm. I mean, it's a description of our supposedly how our legal system is supposed to work. Um.
0: But it doesn't work that way. And people already have their biases and presumptions and things like that. And I mean, I guess if you're talking about in the eyes of the law, this like, ethereal, non existent real thing, then sure, but ultimately everyone in the courtroom already has an opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm you know what I'm gonna agree with you. It's not meaningful because it's not specific enough.
0: Yeah, that's kinda of how I feel.
1: Yeah. Alright. The umpire's decision is binding.
0: His decision on what? Like whether a cheeseburger is the best type of food or the decision in the the baseball. Yeah,
1: game. no, good point, man. It's not that specific, right? We would assume that it's talking about baseball, but that's not, it doesn't say that in there. So maybe our assumption would be erroneous, right?
0: Indeed. I'm going to say it's meaningless.
1: All right. I think I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on that one.
0: Okay. History is the march of God through the world. Hegel.
1: This is absolutely true and meaningful. (laughs) I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's meaningless.
1: All right. Cool.
0: What was Hegel's um, philosophy, what branch philosophy was he uh, mostly related to? Idealism. German idealism.
1: Oh, ideal. okay, yeah, okay. Thank you. I don't know a man.
0: That makes sense. All
1: right. <laughs> All right. In the act of conception, a male and a female each contribute 23 chromosomes.
0: Uh, that's meaningful, right? We can measure that.
1: Yeah, that's, yes, that is meaningful and also true for the in the vast majority of cases
0: right all right um the devil made me do it this is absolutely meaningful to me (laughs) i am the devil i made me do it
1: i saw this t-shirt the other day and i almost bought it it said i'm not like other girls i'm satan (laughs)
0: that's (laughs) i guess why didn't you buy it (laughs)
1: I've been trying really hard not to get drunk and make impulse purchases online lately.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> it's yeah. a bad habit.
0: <laughs> Last thing I impulse bought was a Canon M50, which was pricey. <laughs> 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 so. All
1: right. So we agree that this is a true and meaningful statement.
0: <laughs> In jest, but uh, I, I think if if we're trying to be true and honest, uh, this yes. is a, a meaningless. Yeah, obviously. Meaningless. Yeah, this is
1: n- not meaningful. All right. My
0: unconscious made me do it. Again, I'm going to go with meaningless.
1: Yeah, who can. I mean, ugh, I'm really tempted to spiral off into one of my favorite topics, which is free will. And
0: we have time. <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> well, okay. So there's a thought that we do not have th- free will and that our. Basically, what I would term meat machines. <laughs> this, uh-huh. uh, there's this guy, Sam Harris, that wrote this book, Free Will, and he has a pretty um, eloquently written and convincing argument in it about why this might be the case. But I definitely don't agree with him. He, he sort of, there's a little bit of a misstep in logic in the very beginning of the book, which I think kind of ruins the rest of it for me <laughs> um
0: yeah if you base your entire argument on a false premise yeah then
1: the... it's like he he's he makes this statement I, I don't have the book in front of me but let me see if i can remember off the top of my head like he sa- he makes a statement that like all right i'm not trying to make a purely materialist argument is what he says um maybe maybe consciousness is uh made up of soul stuff or whatever and it, Oh. Uh, I like, and I'm like, well, isn't like asking what it's made of still a materialist worldview? Like, isn't that still, I don't know. I, it was just, uh, it was so jarring that. <laughs> everyone
0: knows. Also, like calling it soul stuff is like very metaphysical. Well, sense, I think so.
1: it's it, he almost does it in jest. Like this is, it's, it seems like there's kind of a how do I say this? A little bit of a pissing contest going on between what mm-hmm. I would term like evangelical. Uh, religious people and evangelical atheists and science is getting kind of squished in the middle of it unfortunately but and i love science so it's unfortunate that it is being used or misused in that way so
0: true yeah i mean the free will determinism debate has been going on since yes people have been thinking about philosophy is <laughs> so
1: but it just seems um, like it d- see that doesn't super does that seem like a scientific question to ask like do we have free will like i don't know
0: that's a good that's a good one um i i'm gonna say indeterminate
1: all right i will
0: maybe we can measure maybe, that at some point in time I mean,
1: maybe i don't know but um, i mean gosh it's uh we're pretty close to the problem right it might be hard <laughs> hard to do it <laughs> In any meaningful way? Yeah, well, we
0: might we might need a outside um, like an intermediary to judge it for us.
1: Sure, I'm, I'm envisioning all sorts of <laughs> future dystopian sci-fi scenarios here.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, half of them have been written already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, so my unconscious made me do it. I'm gonna say not meaningful, indeterminate, or actually, a no. I don't know. Not meaningful or indeterminate.
0: <sighs> I, I, I say it's meaning, meaning, uh, meaningless.
1: Okay. I almost want to say it's indeterminate.
0: I don't know. I, I, all right, I will go with indeterminate as well. <laughs> okay.
1: Because, <laughs> yep. like you said, maybe it's true. I don't know.
0: Yeah. No, that's an interesting one. We could probably talk about this for a long time, but uh. Definitely. Keep moving. All right. Conditioned reflexes made me do it. I think. This one's difficult because this can be used as an excuse, and in some cases, it can also be true. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like you could, there's the whole Pavlov experiment with the dog and the sure. bell, right? Sure. Like
1: if I threw a ball at you, you'd probably just catch it without even thinking about it, right? Like,
0: or smack it out of the sure. way, right? Yeah. One or the other, right? So, I think maybe in like situations where you have to react quickly, this is fairly true but on a larger scale, maybe not so much. Yeah. I, I think there are like degrees of truth within mm,
1: this. I almost am tempted to say that it's meaningless because depending on how you apply it, it could be true or false.
0: Good point. Yeah. Actually, so maybe the... the question or the the statement the preposition isn't specific enough and therefore it's meaningless
1: yeah, and i'm almost wondering if that's true of some of these other ones but we'll soldier yeah, forward um, and not go back over those. yeah
0: no i i think that's it yeah <laughs> that you know that might be a really really good point anyway the next one is the church is the house of god and before i answer um how i feel about this i have a little note in the book <laughs> uh written next to this from the last time i read it that just says god's got a lot of houses rich bastard
1: (laughs) oh good stuff is the church the house of god
0: no this is is yeah i
1: don't think this is yeah this is obviously to me obviously meaningless
0: yeah well i mean if we go back to to wilson's descriptions of this like even if you are A religious, very religious person, Christian. Like this isn't something we can measure. It's a, it's a leap of faith. Sure. So in that sense, it's still meaningless, even if you do believe. Yeah.
1: No, that's definitely true. Definitely. Okay. All right. Anyone who criticizes the government is a traitor.
0: That's slave talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is obviously meaningless.
0: Yeah, it's meaningless. We can't measure. Yeah. we
1: We can't. We cannot. Although, what about if you are living in a country where the laws state that that is the definition of a traitor, like evil countries, like ones I won't mention the names of that don't tolerate dissent and don't have free speech and stuff like that?
0: Yes, but in that case, then the preposition would have to specifically state that. And I think that's the problem we're coming Mm -hmm. into as we're realizing that if language isn't used Specifically, the statement becomes meaningless. Mm -hmm. So, if you said, for example, if the preposition was anyone who criticizes the North Korean government is a traitor, then that statement may have meaning. Sure. Or any North Korean citizen who criticizes the North Korean government is a
1: traitor traitor, according to the North Korean government.
0: Right. Okay. then that that statement would have value or yeah
1: i think i'm with you man okay cool
0: should we move on to the next one we got one one last Last one one actually yeah. yeah abraham lincoln served as president between 1960 and 1968 what do you think
1: well i was gonna say meaningful but i do think that as you brought up in the intro to this like our little teaser for it um, sometimes history is not so clear.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I was going to say that this is indeterminate and this is why we could measure this um, with specific tools, but time travel backwards in time is not presently possible. So, or at least we don't have the methods of doing it. If we were to be able to do this, we could determine that Eisenhower, according to all the books I've ever read and all the people in my life who lived through this, was president in 1960 and then JFK until his assassination in 63 and then LBJ took over until we got the Nixonator. So, you know, we'll take it on a leap of faith until we can time travel.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, and something, maybe something can be false, and also be meaningful right like this is obviously as far as I learned in history not when Abraham Lincoln served as president but it could still be meaningful if it's measurable uh I don't know actually I'm starting to I'm starting to to dial back actually (laughs) I'm gonna uh yeah I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say indeterminate cool
0: yeah I'm saying it's indeterminate
1: all right well we, uh, we seem to have come to a number of consensuses. Is that, the, is that proper? Is it consensi?
0: Consensi? <laughs> consensi? I don't know. I don't
1: know either. <laughs> we'll have to learn that on a, a later date. Yeah, is there anything else that we want to talk about uh, in uh, one or two?
0: I don't know. I don't think so. I wrote down all the notes and things that I, I think I wanted to discuss. Is there anything that kind of jumped out to you that uh, we haven't no, on
1: i do when you're talking about history and stuff i i want to i just want to throw in a cicero quote because i love it so much yeah we learn nothing from history except for that we learn nothing from history <laughs> this guy was a roman so he said this a long time ago hopefully hope that's not too depressing
0: <laughs> no you know yeah
1: <laughs> and on that yeah. note <laughs>
0: On that note, we hope you join us uh, in the future for the next couple sections of this chapter and on forward as we finish the book.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, Thank you
1: guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it.
0: We really do. Uh, Take care, everyone. Yeah, take care. So long.